Veritas includes scenes and descriptions of violence, death, blood, and danger. Listener discretion is advised. We remember the past so that we may understand the present. It is the only way we can hope to change the future. Having escaped the Icaris massacre, Scout Sergeant Adris and two of his fellow legionnaires, Rhea and Navar, made a dangerous trek across the wilderness. Their goal is a ruin that they encountered during a scouting expedition some years prior. Eris believes that the Imperial Usurper may be seeking something there, because he cannot fathom another reason that Imperial troops would have been sent so far north after the presumed coup. They found their journey complicated by a torrential thunderstorm, where a falling tree nearly killed the sergeant, and then a long descent past a waterfall along the remnants of an ancient riverbed. Having traversed these dangers with only some bruising and frayed nerves to show for it, the three orphan legionnaires now approach the ruin, an edifice forgotten by time, constructed of titanic stones that no living man could have moved. What lies within? Does Eris's leap of logic hold any hope of being correct? And what exactly was the feeling of unease that drove them so quickly from this place upon their first encounter? This is Veritas, a solo live play RPG powered by Trove. status. Each of our heroes currently has four trove. Their strength, wit, and resolve pools are all full. There is one advantage available for use. Chapter 3, Part 1 They approach the ruins in a V formation, each clutching tightly the last remnants of their imperial lives in their hands. Aedas grip the bands of a heavy brass round shield, emblazoned with the sigil of the Imperium, in his left hand. Behind and to his right, Rhea crept forward with her hands wrapped about the haft of an Imperial Legionnaire's spear. Its wicked 18-inch blade and heavy crossguard made it quite similar to the tridents she'd used as a fighter in the arena. Navar, for his part, carried an Imperial hunting bow and a quiver which held only 16 arrows. It had contained a score when they'd escaped Igaris, but four had been spent catching food to keep them from growing too hungry. The elder man kept an arrow knocked in the bow, resting against the grip. Eris's stomach turned as the stones drew nearer. Something about this place just felt wrong somehow. 
It was the same feeling which had driven them away from this place the first time. The stones themselves were immense, as though wrought on a scale beyond human imagining. Trying to discern their original formation seemed a hopeless task. At last, they reached the outer edges of the ruin. His heart fluttered in his chest. Surely this must be the reason that Grison had sent his men so far north so soon, he told himself. Something must lie within that will explain this madness. He had to repeat his self-talk again a second time as he stared at the inky blackness that lay within. They had not stepped past the threshold on their last visit. Are you sure this is a good idea? Even Rhea's whispered voice seemed impossibly loud in this moment. No, he whispered back, wincing against the sound of his own words. He took a long, slow breath and stepped beneath the edge of the fallen stones. For a moment, everything was completely dark. Aedris blinked, hoping that his eyes would adjust to the gloom. It took a few moments, but slowly the interior of the ruins came into view. Enough light barely filtered through from outside to give the entire place a sort of eerie hollowness with every hard corner and soft curve cast in shades of gray. The geometry of the place defied his senses. It seemed both larger and smaller than the outside appeared all at once. He chalked it up to the configuration of the fallen stones, but some part of him knew that was a lie, he told, to rationalize his own fear. What is this place? Navar asked in a voice pitched only for Eris and Rhea's ears. Even so, it echoed strangely within, seeming almost distorted somehow. With any luck, a place with some answers, Eris said. It took every ounce of his will to pick up his foot and place it forward, and then again. The third step was a bit easier, and then he was moving. It's impossible to see anything in here, Rhea complained quietly. I'm gonna break my foot when I kick something. Move more slowly then, Navar advised. They crept forward together as the makeshift chamber shifted to the right. As they rounded the corner, an enormous room spread out before them. It must have been at least 60 feet from side to side, and almost half that again to the far end. Just at the very far end they saw, rising up from the floor in a fine line that stretched from wall to wall, a great curtain of what appeared to be shimmering obsidian flames. They were barely visible in the light filtering through the stones from above, but unmistakable. They leapt and flickered like fire, but the tongues of this blaze were as liquid and smooth as black silk. Dear ancestors, Ares breathed, what is that? I really think we should call it a day and leave, Rhea muttered from beside him. We can't leave now, Ares said, stealing his frayed nerves against the sight before them. 
How are we supposed to get past that? Nevar asked. As if in answer to his question, something moved at the edge of the barrier. At first, it seemed little more than a shadow. But as it emerged into a shaft of dim light from above, its shape became clear. Is that a... Rhea began. Moving statue, Navar finished his voice grim. Adus squinted his eyes in the gloom. In one hand, the enormous, vaguely human-shaped form held what looked like a club with a ring at one end. A torch, perhaps, though no flame burned from it. His eyes told him that they could not believe what they were seeing, but Aeris ignored them. He'd grown up surrounded by tales of things beyond belief, the legends recounted by minstrels and the stories told in the city squares and amphitheaters. To him, though until this moment he'd never imagined any of it was real, all it served to do was cement in his mind the idea that he was right. This place was far beyond anything he could have imagined. Coming here, no matter how dangerous, had been the right decision. He had to believe it. He just, he just had to. Rhea rubbed at her eyes. I must be seeing things. T tell me I'm seeing things. There's legends about things like this, Adris whispered. I've heard stories like these at court, but I always assumed they were just stories. Guardians of ancient places where secrets are held. This seals it. This has to be what Greason is after. You want us to fight that thing? Rhea hissed. Come on, Rhea. I thought you'd fight anything. Only if I have a good reason. Better make that decision quickly, Navar said. It's coming for us. There wasn't time anymore to think about the impossibility of what he was seeing here. Aeris wasted no time. Gripping the Imperial shield tightly in his hand, he leapt out in front, screaming a vicious war cry. He raced across the wide open chamber toward the approaching shape, which, as he got closer, proved to be something like double his own height. With a roar of effort and crystallized fear, Aeris drove the shield toward the obsidian form's right knee, hoping to shatter the statue's leg and bring it tumbling to the ground. Aeris, challenge, strength. Action, strike with Imperial Shield. Intention, bring foe to ground. Trove, four. Effort, six. Plus two trove from leadership skill. Draw two from strength pool. Challenge trove, eight. Result, 17. By advantage, no. Final result, 17. Action successful. Remaining trove, two. Adris's war cry was drowned out by the sound of his shield smashing into the leg of the enormous statue. Chips of what appeared to be black glass splintered outward from the impact, scattering across the room toward the wall of black flame. The leg did not break, no, whatever material this construct had been built from had more resilience than that. Adris bounced off from the impact, whirling to the ground and recovering himself with a roll back to his feet. The statue's arm swept after him, the one holding the enormous, unlit torch. Adris held the shield against his body, leaning into it with his shoulder, and braced himself for impact. Incoming threat. Five. Adris, defense, strength, 
Spend advantage plus one trove, plus one from asset, legionnaire shield. Rolling three threat dice. Result? Three. He could not possibly have resisted the force with which the statue swung that club. It caught the shield square on. He moved to deflect it, but the force drove the wind out of him. He swore that he felt his shoulder, collarbone, and ribs bend beneath the impact. And then he was tumbling, ending up face first on the floor with a bloodied nose. The world spun wildly around him. He gasped for breath and choked on the blood, coughing violently, which only made it hurt worse. Aeris suffers menace, strength, bruised and battered. Injury, weight, two. Remaining true, one. Sergeant! He dimly heard Rhea call out, her voice echoing strangely in his stunned ears and the jagged chamber. He rolled himself over, flopping onto his back, letting out a deep groan. Through wet and blurry eyes, he could see the enormous shape of the Guardian looming over him, raising its club to crush him. For the briefest of moments, his eyes flickered to the ceiling above the creature. The rocks looked unsteady there. Navar, he groaned, hoping the scout might understand him. Above! He heard the twang of a bowstring as the Guardian readied itself for the attack. Navar, challenge, wit, action, fire bow to strike loose stones in ceiling. Intention, damage and distract foe with falling stones. Trove, four. Effort, five. Plus one trove from long shot skill. Draw two from wit pool. Challenge trove, seven. Result, 13. By advantage, no. Final result, 13. Unexpected. Accomplish action with complication. Remaining trove, one. Aerith saw the arrow strike the stones above the creature. The shaft of the arrow shattered, and for a moment that felt like an eternity, nothing happened. Then it came all in a rush, like an avalanche with stones raining down from above. They struck the creature with resounding crashes, sending splinters of those same glassy black shards scattering in every direction. Aerith pulled the shield up over his head to cover his face as the shards flew at him. They ricocheted off the shield instead, but the ones that pelted his legs left a few nasty cuts behind. This was going to make things difficult. Hey there, you ugly piece of shit! Rhea yelled into the chamber. Why don't you bring that giant club over here in my direction? Rhea, challenge, wit. Action, insult and yell at enemy. <laughs> Intention, gain foe's attention. Throw four, effort three. Plus one trove from outfox the skill. Draw three from wit pool. Challenge trove, nine. Result, nine. By advantage, yes. Final result, nine. Unexpected. Accomplished action with complication. Remaining trove, six. Aerith struggled to catch his breath, trying to scramble to his feet. Incredibly, Rhea's increasingly childish and vulgar insults caused the creature to turn toward the sound. Whether it understood the words or simply was distracted by the noise, it was impossible to tell. Still, it afforded Aerith enough time to get back to his feet, cough the remaining blood from his mouth, 
and press his sleeve against his broken nose. The club swung again, this time at Rhea. Just as she'd intended, Aerith knew, but his breath caught in his throat regardless. Incoming threat, four. Rhea, defense, wit, one die penalty due to convocation. Spend three trove, rolling two threat dice. Result, three. Rhea danced aside, but the shards of glass on the ground made movement difficult. Her foot slipped on one, and the swing of the enormous torch club missed her by scant inches. Her breath went out in a huff, and Aedris could see the wild look in her eyes and her stance, even at this distance. Rhea suffers menace, wit, terrified, trauma, weight one. Aedris saw his opening. With the statues back to him now, he could see that his original plan had almost worked. The leg he'd hit initially, after the creature's upper portion had suffered the damage from the falling stones above, was hanging on by a thread. If he hit it again, the thing would fall, he was sure of it. Stealing himself against the pain, he rushed through the fallen stones and shards with his eye on the targets. Aedis, challenge, strength. Action, strike foe with shield. Intention, bring foe to ground. Trove one. Effort 4. Plus 1 trove from Ambush Tactics skill. Draw 3 from Strength Pool. Challenge trove 5. Result 14. Bane due to complication. Minus 4. Spend advantage. Plus 6. Final result 16. Accomplish action. Post challenge trove 1. His aim was true. Aedris' shield connected with the creature's leg right in the weak spot. There was a moment's resistance, and then he was sailing through to the other side, narrowly and deftly avoiding the stones that surrounded the creature and dancing among the shards. He hadn't even had time to look behind him when the whole room shuddered as the creature collapsed to the ground, robbed of its support. The sound of shattering glass filled the chamber so loudly that Aedris dropped his shield and clapped his hands to his ears, but he was too late. When the sound faded, he found himself wincing against pain and a dull roar that drowned out his hearing. Rhea and Aerys suffer story menace, wit partially deafened. Injury, weight one. Thankfully, no more of the stones fell from above. As Aerys turned back toward the fallen foe, a circle of light from outside shone down on the thousands of tiny shards. Though the day was overcast and foggy, even the gray light made them sparkle like a million tiny diamonds. Dimly, he heard Rhea say something. He turned toward her. What was that? He asked, flexing his jaw. It felt as though his ears were filled with water. I said that was hardly worth it, she repeated, the sound badly muffled. Navar approached them, slinging his bow over his back. He said something, but it was entirely lost to his hopefully temporary hearing damage. The torch is still intact, Navar said more clearly this time. Aerys nodded, gritting his teeth. His nose still hurt and a bit of blood ran from it. He wiped it away with his increasingly bloodied sleeve. Good, he growled. Let's hope this wasn't all for nothing. Rhea muttered something that might have been, it better not, but Aerys decided to pretend he hadn't heard her. 
stepping gingerly across the floor, through and around the shards. Iris bent down and reached for the enormous fallen torch. As soon as his fingers brushed it, the item shrank before his eyes, going from nearly six feet long and several inches thick to something only about 18 inches long and which fit neatly in his hand. He turned and looked at the others, who stared at him, bewildered. Did you know that would happen? Rhea asked him after a couple of tries. He shrugged. No, not exactly. So? Navar prompted. With a grim sigh, still flexing his jaw and trying to clear the ringing in his ears, Eris turned back toward the shimmering wall of obsidian flame. As he approached, rather than getting warmer as he might from a real flame, the curtain seemed to claw at the warmth within him. He exhaled a cloud of white fog. Someone said something behind him, but Adris could not hear them. He extended the torch toward the wall of flames. As soon as the round plate at the end of the item touched the wall of fire, a gust of wind blew through the chamber. The wall of shimmering black silk drew toward the end of the torch with a dull rushing sound that quickly rose to a roar. Adris blinked his eyes against the freezing wind, feeling as though the life were leaving his body. He staggered, dropping to one knee as the gale rose to a howl. And then, just as quickly as it came, it stopped. He opened his eyes to see a pale orange flame dancing merrily atop the torch in his hand. It exuded a slight warmth though it was by no means a natural flame. A good thing, too. Beyond lay a darkened hallway, totally enclosed from the outside and utterly devoid of light. Did either of you bring torches? Adris asked them, his voice dull in his own ears. They both shook their heads. It's a good thing we have this then, he said, and turned toward the dark tunnel ahead. He didn't look back to see if they'd followed but he could see by the shapes of the flickering shadows on the walls around him that they had. Well, now that we've had a bit of action happening, I thought it would be a good idea to slow down and take another look at the rules of Trove. It's important for me, and you, to understand the rules that we're playing by, so you know what's up. First things first, when I created these heroes way back before the prologue, I had given them each an asset. In Trove, an asset is something external to the hero, which provides them of advantage of some kind, usually situational. And then of course, since it hasn't come up in the last two episodes, I kind of forgot to mention them. <laughs> so rather than penalizing our heroes for my own oversight, I've just sort of retconned them back in. Adris has an Imperial Legionnaire shield, Rhea has a spear, and Navar has a bow with some arrows remaining. Each of these does certain things, some of which you saw during the preceding scene. So, sorry about that. Growing pains and all that. Next, let's look a bit more at the rules of Trove. Here's a quick review of the steps of a challenge, which I'm currently condensing into a single line during the narrative in order to keep the flow of the story going. Step 1. Declare your action. This is where the hero's player, in this case me, tells the narrator, also me, what their hero will do and what they are trying to get out of it. This can sometimes be split in two pieces, the intent, what do you want, 
and the method, how do you want to get it? But that division isn't always crystal clear. The important part is to be clear about the action that your hero is going to take. Step 2. Choose an attribute. All heroes have three primary attributes, strength, wit, and resolve. These attributes serve as both advantages in situations, as well as a resource pool that the hero is able to draw from in order to contribute to their challenges. Step 3. The narrator, that's me, decides on the effort for the challenge. This is how much trove that the hero needs to invest in order to attempt the action as described, given all of the surrounding circumstances. Step 4. The hero invokes skills and draws from their chosen attribute in order to fill out their current trove and spends the effort to begin the challenge. Step 5. Roll the d20 and see the initial result. This next step is now a slight change from the rules when we began. Step 6. Optional. Spend more trove, raises, or advantages available to nudge the result toward a better outcome if needed. Step 7. Interpret the final result. When we began Veritas, raises were invested before the d20 is rolled in sort of a betting fashion. As development has finalized on the rules, we have moved away from randomness and more toward open information and resource management. Thus, you now spend trove to adjust the die roll after the roll is made. So seven steps may seem like a lot, but in practice it flows very naturally once you get the hang of it. More time and attention are paid to each challenge in trove because there are fewer dice rolled over the course of the game so each outcome is more important. The result table is a gradient of possible success and failure depending on what resources the hero has available to them. One of our bolder design choices, in my opinion, is that failure is never the only result. Even if the player rolls a natural one on the challenge die, they may still choose to succeed, although there is a pretty hefty cost associated with it. Another thing I'd like to give a quick look under the hood at, so to speak, is the menace system. This is Trove's equivalent of damage, and we've seen this come into play a few times recently. Because we want Trove to be a game about stories, we have worked through several design phases on how to represent the harm and danger that comes to our heroes throughout their stories. We've settled here on a combination of two trackers. The first is Menace, and the second is is doom. Menace works like this. When a hero is in a dangerous situation, there is a threat and defense role. Side note, you can also acquire menace via choosing to succeed on a lower challenge result. If the hero fails the defense role, like we just heard a couple of times, they acquire menace. An individual instance of menace is recorded on the character sheet like so. A few words to describe what they suffered like bruised and battered in Eris's case. The attribute it applies to, which is the one they chose for their challenge or defense role, its weight, and the condition, which helps guide the hero's player on how to remove it. So far, our heroes have only suffered injuries and trauma, which are considered simple menace. We'll go into details on more of these as they come up. The weight of menace is also very important. A hero has a menace weight limit of 9. If at any time they would suffer menace that would cause them to exceed weight 9, 
they must instead advance their doom clock by one. In Veritas, each hero has six ticks on their doom clock. If at any time their doom clock should reach midnight, they must exit the story. This may involve death, retirement, a different journey, or some other method, but they can no longer continue as a viable hero in the game. Right now, Eris is carrying Menace of Total Weight 3, and Rhea is carrying Total Weight 2. Navar, so far, has remained unscathed. Menace can be reduced, as we saw at the end of the last episode with Eris's bruised shoulder, but the heroes need time and space, which we call respite, in order to treat it, which right now our heroes do not have. So that's your behind-the-curtain look for today. Let's get back to our heroes. Chapter 3, Part 2 Aerith invoked experience, fearless leader. The corridor bored straight through the rock and angled slightly downward. It wasn't long before the feeling of the air changed, and Aerith could tell by the scent that they had moved beneath the earth. The stones no longer allowed any fresh air within. Everything here was cold and stale. It caught in the back of his throat, making him want to cough. He pressed his left hand tenderly against his aching nose. That was going to hurt for a while, he thought to himself. At length, the corridor gave way to another chamber, this one smaller than the last. The walls in this chamber were perfectly round, a circular room that rose to a domed ceiling in the center. Aerys could not see all the way to the far wall in the dim light of the mystical torch, but the shape of things seemed clear. On either side of them, around the circle, were openings that led to tunnels very similar to the one they'd entered from. Aerys frowned a bit as they drew into the room and looked around. I wonder what... he began. The room shuddered and with a great grinding of stone, began to turn. Aerys, with his damaged hearing, had no warning. He only noticed that something was happening when the floor lurched beneath him, sending him tumbling to the stone. What is happening? Rhea shouted, her panicked voice barely cutting through the din. He managed to shield his head from striking the floor. The room spun so fast that he couldn't even climb to his feet. It was all he could do to desperately hold on, his fingernails splintering and bleeding as he clutched the floor, his shield, and the torch, hoping not to be picked up and thrown against the wall. After what felt like an eternity, the spinning slowed and finally halted. Aerys felt sick and dizzy and shook his head to clear it as he slowly climbed to one knee. He looked around and spotted Navar sitting at the very center of the chamber, wearing a rather smug expression. Navar invoked experience. I shall endure. You couldn't have warned us? Aerys groaned, his head swimming. Navar shrugged. I tried. You couldn't hear me. Aerys's eyes scanned the edges of the room. The tunnels still led out in twelve directions, but now he had absolutely no idea which one they'd come in through. This could be bad, he muttered under his breath. How are we supposed to find our way out now? Rhea complained, giving voice to the thought Aerys had been afraid to. If I had devised a trap like this, Navar mused, 
there would be one way in and one way out. The rest would be deep dead ends, most likely set with pits or other worse dangers, I suppose, to catch those who wandered without thought. Great, Aeris grumbled. This whole thing had been his bright idea. It had been going so well, except for the bruised ribs, of course. He pressed two fingers to his forehead, trying to stop the spinning that still went on behind his eyes. I don't suppose you were able to keep track of which tunnel is which while you were sitting contentedly at the center. Nevar shrugged again. I had to close my eyes. I have no idea. Rhea scuffed her foot on the floor, kicking up some long, caked-on dust. Beneath the scratch in the dirt, the outline of a symbol became clear. What's this? She asked aloud, crouching down to brush away more of the grime of centuries. It looks like some kind of writing. Aeris frowned. Maybe it'll help. Together, they spent some time and freed up as much of the grit as they could. When they were done, they had revealed a series of symbols that circled the center of the room in three layers, an outer large ring with twelve symbols aligned with the twelve tunnels that led away from the chamber, a middle ring with six, and a center ring with just three. Oh great, Aedris growled. If we'd had any idea about this when we came in, we probably could have deciphered this or at least remembered how it was set before it decided to turn. The room shuddered again, and Eris let out a rather surprised yelp, bracing himself for the spinning to begin again. But it didn't. He looked around frantically, trying to figure out the source of the shaking. Up there, Navar said grimly. Eris looked up and his heart dropped into his boots, The ceiling, which had appeared perfectly domed, was actually an optical illusion. It was nearly flat, but carved or painted in such a way to create the illusion of the dome only about ten feet above them. And inch by inch, it had begun to descend. Oh, you've got to be kidding! Rhea groaned. If we can't figure this out quickly, we'll have to choose a tunnel at random. Navar pointed out the obvious. What do we do, Sergeant? With panic rising in his mind and his ears still ringing from the shattering glass giant, Iris stared up at the ceiling and then wildly around him at the twelve tunnels leading outward from the chamber and the symbols on the floor. I... I don't know, he stammered as the ceiling descended another inch. Thank you for listening to Threat Dice. I hope that you are enjoying our new tale, powered by the upcoming Trove RPG. If you're enjoying the series, one of the best ways you can help is by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on Twitter, at TumbleDie, or on the web at www.tumbledie.com. Threat Dice and Veritas are a production of TumbleDie Games, LLC. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Music featured in this episode, licensed CC BY, include Lifeless Eyes Watching and Last Stand by Vince Vept. 
Check out his work at vincefep.bandcamp.com. The narrator's theme was written by Kyellen, that's me, for this series. The ending theme is Carved in Stone, also by Kyellen. More of my music at soundcloud.com slash cc That's K-Y-E-L-L-A-N dash C-C. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.